Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, it's been about two weeks, I want to say, maybe even a little longer since I did an episode. Um, I just uh, got a little busy and I, I couldn't really find a guest and uh, still just trying to figure out how I want to go about this, but we got a great episode for you uh, this week with Steve on Sens joining the podcast again. And I figured it was what, what better time than now as we don't have any more games for the next week or so as obviously that'll be a big part of what we talk about and discuss here. So um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys and thank you all so much for the support. Um, as always, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at NHL Sends and stuff. You can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, and you can find the Twitter, uh, this, the Sends po- podcast Twitter account at lastwordonsends um, on Twitter. So thank you everyone for the support and we'll talk to you all next week. Joining me now, making his return to the podcast is the one and only Steve on Sends. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to have you back on. I was just checking actually before you hopped on here uh, when the last time I had you on was, and it was right after the trade deadline uh, from last year was when you were last on. And uh, we were discussing how underwhelming it was that uh, I believe it was Braden Coburn and Mike Riley were the two biggest names that were moved. Uh, But uh, I figured today would be a good time because, you know, as I just mentioned to you before, it's been about two weeks uh, since I've uploaded a podcast. The Senators have played eight games, which they've taken a total of three points of. And uh, tonight is perfect timing, honestly, to record because the uh, league has finally put the Sens season on pause here for for about a week. Um, the breaking news that happened today, obviously, was their Tuesday game in New Jersey was canceled. Uh, Thursday at home against Nashville and Saturday at home against the Rangers have been canceled. So their next scheduled game is now Monday on the road in Colorado. Uh, Sens have been going through it for about a week here with COVID protocol cases. I think it was up to nine or 10 guys on at one point. And, uh, you know, people were kind of wondering if they should maybe cancel some games. And uh, they, they ended up playing Thursday against the Kings, uh, Saturday against the Pens, and then yesterday against the Flames, and that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. And uh, you could tell they really didn't have anything on the Sunday night. Um, when was the first time? I, I'm curious because I want to get your opinion. I feel like most people I saw today on Twitter were like, thank God this was done a week too late. They should have canceled a while ago. When was the first time you really thought the league should cancel some of these games? Um. Well, I mean, it's it's hard, especially right now, with the benefit of hindsight, um, to to look back and say uh, it should have been done uh, a week ago. I mean, I'm I'm no epidemiologist. I uh, really only know so much as as anyone else about you know what the what the league protocols are uh, and who like how often they're being tested, who was who's been in contact with who. So, I mean, I uh, it was it's kind of hard for me to say that you know, when games should have been canceled because you never know if it's, if it's an isolated incident and that's what we were all hoping for at the start, but it's pretty evident since then uh, that things kind of spiraled out of control. So um, personally, I, I don't really know when I thought games should have been canceled. I, I mean, it's pretty evident at this point, things aren't under control. Uh, so I'm glad to see that the, the league is taking uh, action, canceling uh, games for the rest of the week. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I don't consider myself one to defend the NHL too often. Um, I uh, I definitely would say I criticize them a lot more and fairly criticize them a lot more and I defend them. But uh, my biggest thing today, especially online, when I saw people being like, these should have been canceled a long time ago, is A, 
I'm sure, I mean, what I thought when, you know, a couple cases started coming down is it's a 98% vaccination rate, I think, among the league. And uh, by all reports, Ottawa was 100%. So, you know, with the vaccinations, I was kind of hoping that the, the spread wouldn't be quite as bad as compared to maybe what we've seen, uh, you know, in past years. Unfortunately, it still was. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, is even if the spread was there, I was hoping a couple more guys might be asymptomatic where, uh, you know, we've seen in the uh, NFL a couple times already where a guy will test positive on, say, the Tuesday and actually be able to play by the Sunday night game because he, you know, he was asymptomatic and, and got over it within under a week. Right. Um, you know, that clearly did not happen with the, the senators. But, um, well, you know, I, I, I I'll cut in there. I, I do think a lot of players are asymptomatic. Uh, Batherson talked about feeling um, awesome after his four point night. And meanwhile, he had tested positive earlier in the day. So I think a lot of players are asymptomatic. I mean, I, I don't think any of them are, well, I'm sure some of them are feeling not great, but I, I think, you know, quite a few of them are. are I, yeah. I should clarify I, the latest report I heard. Well, and not report. I don't know. TJ Smith had made a comment that something along the lines of all the guys definitely have something a little bit when it comes to symptoms, but I think it was a lot better than, you know, like the obvious, like Vancouver, there was guys who couldn't come back for months because of lung injuries. I don't think Ottawa was dealing with anything like that. It's much more, you know, light, but at the same yeah, time, like, and that's, and that's the benefit of, you know, a hundred percent vaccination rate is that, you know, these, you worry about spread to other teams um, and you worry about spread to families. But at the end of the day, I mean, the, the chances that any of these guys are going to get, you know, seriously ill out of this is pretty slim. Exactly. And, and that's why you get vaccinated. I feel like the general majority that listen to this podcast probably know where uh, definitely I stand on vaccination and definitely go get it uh, as long as you can. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like my, my big side, I couldn't believe. And, you know, granted by Sunday, it was really obvious that the team was just like, they were calling up their AHL roster. They're making signing guys to have a team down in Belleville right now. Um, but I didn't see near as much complaining when they kicked the uh, Penguins ass on Saturday night as I did Sunday when they were getting their um, the, the the tables turned on them for sure about how the game should have been canceled. I'm not saying there was no one saying it. I'm just saying it uh, when you're losing, it definitely comes out a little more. But um, I definitely think they made the right call canceling the next three games. Hopefully, you know, they have now a full week off um, until their next schedule game. Hopefully this kind of gives a break for the team. And, you know, that that spread can stop. And not only that, but a couple of those guys that were asymptomatic or had very minor symptoms can, you know, get healthy and get at least start back into game shape again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, obviously, the the primary concern is everyone's health off the ice. But on the ice, you do hope that this serves as a a bit of a reset for the team. Um, Obviously, things have not gone as intended uh, to start this year. Um, But um, hopefully things turn around despite injuries to. Uh, Shane Pinto and Eric Brandstrom. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, we, we got to get into that as well. It's uh, super unfortunate. Uh, the Pinto one, I, they're both really unfortunate. Pinto, you know, comes back and just a harmless, like he was going to take a face off and just twisted his shoulder the wrong way. And you could tell right away, he knew something was wrong and, and went off. And now it kind of sounds like he's done for the season, which if there's even any question, I think that's the right calls, shut him down. Uh, I've, you know, never, I've been lucky enough to not have shoulder injuries, but everyone I've heard that has, has had one says it is a pain in the butt to recover from. So give him as much time as he needs. And, you know, the long-term health is obviously much more important than a season in which 
you know, they're already bottom five in the league. And it's, it's just one of those things that it sucks because, you know, already early in the season, he looked like he was going to become a difference maker for this team. And, you know, you hope that hit didn't keep him out long, but now, now it's a, it's a full season wasted. And obviously he's got, he's going to have lots of time to get stronger and come back, but uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, the season has not gone well and, you know, development in guys like Shane Pinto is something to look forward to in seasons like this. And we don't even get that anymore. Yeah, I had uh, I put five bucks on Pinto winning the Cal- the Calder at the, the start of the year, so I will not be getting that back. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a tough situation um, to see him go down. Uh, I would say with uh, with the injuries, with the way the team started, you're like it's all it's it's this year is basically a write off, um, and you know it's, that's always tough when it's November fifteenth and uh, and the season's done. But you know, hopefully, we can still. You know, we've watched a lot of bad hockey over the last four or five years. Um, you know, I'm sure we can find lots of, of bright spots on the way, whether that's, you know, players like Lassie Thompson or Jacob Bernard Docker. Um, I will still, unfortunately, be finding ways to ways and reasons to tune into this team. Yeah, it's a shame we can have another 56-game season, eh? Uh, that that yeah, be not a lot nice nicer. last year. It, it really was, especially with the, that start where it's like, well, at least there's 30 less games. I've got I've, I've got tickets to Ottawa Montreal in the Bell Center. I believe it's April second, and that like that's going to be a the Shane Wright Bowl with like with the exception of Arizona, but like that's going to be a real low energy game. I think. Yeah, yeah, that might not be the uh, absolute barn burner that those two teams have been known to have over the past couple uh, decade. Anyways, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, speaking of Shane Pinto and him being out long term, I've seen also some talk online about, you know, what should they do at the center spot? Obviously, Colin White is still out for what's probably going to be a couple more months. Shane Pinto's probably gone. Um, there's been taught they've been talking for all summer, you know, all off season into the season that they've been looking for, quote, veteran help down the middle anyways. Um, do you think this prompts them to go make a move? And do you think they should make a move? Um. You know, I, I don't know if they will, and I don't know if they should. Um, I think you, at this point, um, like I said, just recognize the year is kind of a write-off. Like, I think if there's a hockey move to be made, and you bring in a, a guy who can contribute who's not just a rental, um, you know, I, I'm, I'd probably be happy with that. But I don't want to see the team make a move to just, you know, push for some wins this year, and, uh, you know, you lose a prospect or, or a draft pick. Um, because I mean that's not what this year sh- should be about anymore. Um, I think that just kind of seems like misuse of of assets that could go towards an actually competitive team, hopefully next year. Uh, so um, if there's if there's a good move to be made to bring in a, an impact player uh, who fits this team's competitive window, um, not opposed, but uh, not not interested in a rental player. Yeah, that's exactly how I'm at too. I a I never really thought they should go get some veteran rental. It didn't really make sense to me when names like um, uh, Ryan Strom from the Rangers were out there because he's 28 years old and he needs a new contract anyways. I just I don't really see how that fits in with this team considering when everyone's healthy, he's your third C at best, and it feels like he's going to get paid for more. And that's still how I kind of feel. If there's a team that's looking to move on uh, from, you know, a younger guy, then sure. You know, you could take a look. Uh, uh, Vitaly Kratzov's the name that I've seen um, 
thrown out there a little bit, obviously uh, with the Rangers and uh, that, that situation didn't go well. I believe he's in the AHL or just not reporting to the AHL right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I don't know if he plays center. I, I think he's more of a right winger than he is, but even someone like yeah. that, he's 21 years old. He was a ninth overall pick in 2018. Like if that he's playing in the KHL actually right now, but if that's a player you could get on the cheap, I wouldn't mind them seeing, try to add something like that uh, because there's a chance he is a part. And, you know, another name I would circle, I circle, I don't think they'll want to get rid of him. but Barrett Hayton has been playing fourth line center on just the worst Arizona Coyotes team I have ever seen in my entire life if that is a guy that they even want to think about moving on from like that, that kind of player is someone I would be okay with them taking a swing at assuming the price is reasonable, obviously like you can't be given up a first or anything crazy like that, but if you can get someone cheap and it helps, and there's also a chance they contribute down the road, I'm in for it. But as you said, like, you know, you don't want to chalk a season up to a lost cause, not even 20% in, but if you're being anything other than like, you're not being realistic if, if that's not what you're doing at this point. So I don't think there's any reason unless you can find someone for dirt cheap to, you know, go out and make a trade because it would just be a panic move at this point. Yeah. I, I always like a, a recovery project. Um, you know, sometimes it's a Kyle Turris, but sometimes it's a Nikita Filatov. Um, but I always, I always like uh, taking those swings on those players because um you never know. Um, and sometimes they work out really well for you. So. Yeah. And like at this point, what else do you have to lose? Right. Like uh, again, like if it's, if you're giving up a second pick, a second round pick, maybe you do have something that you know, you have something in stake there. So it's like, okay, I guess not. But I mean, like when it's uh, Duclair is another perfect example. And unfortunately it's not like Ottawa. Got the actual, yeah. I would say Ottawa didn't get the actual fruits of the labor on that one, but um, you know, Duclair, when they traded him, it was Dezingle two seconds, Dezingle for two seconds and Duclair and Duclair was the throw in there and ended up being the better player of the two anyways, and still is to this day. Um, You know, obviously you want the long-term outcome to be better for Ottawa, but at the same time, it's like, if you can do that, why not? Like it, that, the other option right now is basically to when not like Austin Watson's back, play him up on your third line. It's like, that just, that doesn't really help anyone. And, and no offense to Austin Watson. He's just, his role as a fourth liner and um yeah so I, I don't know i i'd be a little surprised also because i feel like at this point there's so many teams that still think they're in it around the league and you know we see mm-hmm. this every year where it's like look at the metro division all eight teams are like above 500 right now or the one that isn't at the new york islanders out of all of them which i would argue is probably was the favorite to win it coming into the year maybe second or third but you know like every team still thinks they're in it so you know, Giroux was a name tied to the Senators all offseason. The Flyers aren't selling Giroux, especially not right now. You know, they're off mm-hmm. to a good start. They're second in that division. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't know how many players would even be out there on the market. Yeah, and it would be a weird thing to go over Claude Giroux because, I mean, there's been some reports, and I don't know how credible they are, that that he, um, if he were, if he was to not play for the Flyers, the only other team he'd want to play for would be the Sens. So if the Sens had an opportunity to get Giroux, you'd think they, it would just be the best strategy to wait it out and just sign him as a free agent in the offseason, which would be, I think, absolutely massive for this franchise. Like, not not even just from an on-ice perspective, I think from a marketing perspective, um, you know, not, like, especially on, on the, the Gatineau side, too, like, I think that would be an absolute home run for this team. Like, he doesn't even have to be good on the ice, in my view. Like, I think that's just the kind of impact signing the Sens need to, to re-energize this market, I think. 
Yeah, well, like, like what's, when's the last time you heard someone only wants to go to Ottawa? No, it's like, I don't know if I, well, maybe Hashik. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm literally trying. I don't think in my lifetime of, like, diehard watching the Sens, which I would say 2012 was when I really started paying attention to hockey. I don't think I've ever seen any free agent be like, yes, Ottawa is the only destination I want to go. Yeah, I think you'd have to go back to like the like early mid two thousands when the team was just a, a perennial contender for for players to entertain the option. Certainly not in the last decade. Uh, Ottawa has not been a a destination. So um, to have that potential, and I mean, a lot of this is speculation. I don't want to put this down in ink, but um, if if he were interested, I would be super excited about the potential of him coming to Ottawa. Absolutely. I mean, it's the NHL. So I would think I'd say, I tell everyone, you know, the safest route is going to be him just re, uh, re-signing with the mm-hmm. Flyers and being a Flyer for life. But yeah, the idea of it is definitely, definitely entertaining, but I, I totally agree where it's like, if that is the route they're going to take, just go with free agency. Don't give up assets for that. Um, you know, it's not worth it for 20 game or whatever amount of games in a lost year. And I don't see why Giroux would want to make that move or the Flyers would either right now like it just that did, wouldn't make sense for all parties involved really um uh branchdom's the other one we got to get to uh just so unfortunate you know he finally gets called up due to mostly because of this covid outbreak um you know gets to play it was at two games i think and uh breaks his hand and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon um i mean it's like a, six to eight weeks yeah, so it's it's another, you know, two months missed in a time where, um, you know, he's just not even playing. It's super unfortunate. Um, I I don't even know what to say at this point because, like, to me, it's really just when he didn't make the team out of camp, and I know some of that was just the one-way contracts, but even just the signing of Michael Delzato this summer, to me, really just signified the end of Branstrom's time here in terms of a long-term option. There's still a little part of me that, is clinging on to like the idea that he finally got his shot in these two games or whatever and came up and dominated and they just couldn't send him back down, but that didn't happen. I didn't think he looked horrible, but I thought, you know, I I don't know. I feel like the biggest problem I've had with this team and it's weird because I've said this before, but the biggest problem a couple of years ago with a guy like Nick Paul is Nick Paul knew as soon as he made one mistake, He was getting stapled to the bench and then sent back down to Belleville. And when DJ Smith came in, he changed that. He, Nick Paul got leashed. Now he could, it's not like Nick Paul was out there trying to dangle four guys and go to the net, like Connor McDavid or anything like that. But he played with a clear more skill in his game where it wasn't just simply chip the puck in and go get it. And Smith even talked about how that was something he wanted to work on with Nick Paul, about giving a bit longer of a leash. But then with Branchdom, it feels like anytime he makes a mistake, he's just stapled right back to the bench. It's like we've seen that it's worked when you give a player a longer leash and they're not scared of being sent right back down to the AHL after one mistake. Why does it still feel like it's happening with the guy who is supposed to be your star prospect, you know, proudest day as a GM, all that great stuff, you know, like it just it's frustrating to me. And Branchdom has his warts. Don't get me wrong. I just. I would much rather see him get six periods of hockey to show himself. And it never feels like he does get that until the end of last year where I thought he actually looked really good. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I just do not understand uh, what 
the Pierres were thinking, uh, seeing how the way this team played. Down the stretch, without Thomas Shabbat, the top two left D were Eric Brandstrom and Victor Mete, uh, two really small guys. Uh, and not that I'm saying Mete is great or anything, but uh, I think there's a, a clear issue with the team's uh, evaluations of their defensemen uh, when their takeaway from that was that they need to double down on players like Michael Del Zotto, players like Josh Brown, um, players like Zaitsev. Um, and pretty much we've repeated the first 15 games from last year um, all over again with a, a D that can't move the puck out of the zone, doesn't play well positionally, um, and uh, you know has led to a lot of goals in the back of the net for uh, in Ottawa's net. So um, I, I really don't understand the rationale. Like I, I get the idea that you, you want to create competition, but the competition's pretty tilted when one guy has a one-way contract and the other guy has a two-way contract. Um, time and time again, um, whether that's Brandstrom, whether it's a player like Schlappick, whether it's you know a player like you know, Logan Brown, I guess. But you know the these players get sent down because they have two-way contracts. Sure, a lot of them don't have you know played up to par, but you know, I, I don't necessarily buy the idea that this is completely merit-based. I think uh, the contractual status has a lot to do with it. Yeah, it's not like the replacements have played up to par either. Like, yeah, like if if Del Zotto was even like fine, I I like would have less of an issue with it. But you know, it's it's that old what's the saying of what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. How many times have they ran out Oduya, uh, Ron Hainsey, Good Branson? And every year, by the 25th, 30th game, they go, oh, shit, we can't have these guys in our top four right-handed D because they suck. Yet every year they go, hey, you know what we need? A gritty, tough defenseman to play on the right side minutes. And, like, this offseason maybe was a little different because I wouldn't, like, the, the thing that I still cannot get over with the Delzato signing is he is exactly what Branstrom and Mete do, but worse. Like, it's not like Del Zotto is some shutdown D or whatever. He's a guy who struggles to play defense, is all right in a limited role-playing offense. It's like you had that in Victor Mete, and you have at least that and probably better in Eric Branstrom. Why did you feel the need to go give uh, Michael Del Zotto two years at $2 million? Um, you know, I didn't mind the Holden addition. I thought he would be, and I, I haven't hated his game when he's in, but he needs to be playing the right side. Uh, but it really comes down to the fact that this team wants, thinks and wants to rely on Josh Brown and Nikita Zaitsev playing tough minutes in their top four on the right side, especially Nikita Zaitsev. And it's just until that changes, nothing is going to change because like, I, I, I try not to rip on Nikita Zaitsev as much, but he is just not a good hockey player. He's not a top four. That is for sure. And the fact that they just keep trying to jam him in there to no success, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone yet. We, I, for the third year in a row, we're out here doing it. So, well, uh, it, it just blows my mind. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe I read the situation wrong, but when you've got Jake Sanderson coming up as your left D, I saw basically from the time Branstrom got called up from the AHL towards the end of last year until the end of this year, or whenever Jake Sanderson arrives, as being the time that Eric Branstrom was going to be given the opportunity to play the second line left D. Um, that was the time where you had to evaluate him and make the decision whether or not he had a role on this team 
or to pump his tires and then trade him for another asset. And so I am perplexed by the decision to send him down to Belleville at the start of the year. I'm perplexed by the the, the signings that led to that decision. Um, it reeks of just poor asset management at the professional level. And um, it seems to be a recurring issue with, with this team. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty frustrated by uh, how they've dealt with Brandstrom and uh, you know, hopefully once Sanderson arrives, we can, you know, stop complaining about this tire fire of a defense that's hasn't really been good for the, you know, a decade. The team continues to always just have, you know, one or two really good defensemen and then the rest is just atrocious. So um, it's, it's frustrating, but hopefully with Sanderson, you know, things turn around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. Uh I will say I thought Lassie Thompson has looked uh, really good. Um, yeah, like like way I didn't have much expectation. Now, granted, I hadn't watched him much, just kind of listening to what other people said, but I've really liked his game so far this year. And, um, you know, that's really exciting if he can actually break into a top four spot or a, just on the right side there at all, um, even if it's on a third pair, because that would give them st- some stability. And, yeah, I'm the more and more that Jake Sanderson – plays the more and more hype he's getting to the point where like even like when when the pick happened analytic scouts i felt like and that's a broad term i shouldn't i don't know if i should use that but definitely some of the people that i follow and, and i i think have really good opinions weren't as sure about the pick everything he's done since they've made that pick has had people go holy shit this guy is going to be unreal like everyone you talk to now in the scouting community whether it's more numbers based eye test based both they are like, oh yeah, this guy looks like he could be the real deal. And that is exciting to have more than one good guy because you mentioned it for years, their D Corps has been Eric Carlson and a bunch of nobodies. And then the second Eric Carlson left, it was Thomas Shabbat and a bunch of nobodies. And now they at least have Shabbat, hopefully Sanderson, and hopefully they can keep Zub around for a little while as well. There's at least a base of three good players that you can build around. And that has been more than they can say they've had in so long and now Carlson was so good he masked so many of those problems but it's just it's not a good reason to not go out and find more good defensemen but yeah I'm I'm still a little worried even when Sanderson comes because I think it doesn't matter how good Sanderson is if their ideals don't change on the right side the personnel is never going to change and it's always going to be a black hole now hopefully it'll be lesser of a black hole when you have another good player dragging along a defenseman um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's worrying, but you know, there's at least, there's an Avenue, I think where this defense core looks pretty good at or at least average in a year or two. And truthfully, that's the first time I can say that in a long time for, for this team. Yeah, absolutely. The, the idea of having you know, Thomas Shabbat or Jake Sanders on the ice for you know 50 minutes a night. Um, I think that would be able to mask some of the other. Uh, issues, but also when you got players like, you know, like we we touched on Thompson and his uh, how he looks, you know, almost NHL ready, if not NHL ready. Um, Bernard Docker, I think, has looked solid, um, and then you have you know a handful of other D prospects who, you know, hopefully one or two of them end up uh, you know, turning into pro players. So uh, I I think it's it's really exciting. I think um, it'll just be interesting to see how they handle the Zaitsev contract and all this, uh, is he going to be sticking around? He's, he's got what, two years after this year left on that. 
Yeah, that sounds right. I'm just That's, trying to look it up, but yeah, that, oh every, that contract is just mind blowing. I can't believe, <laughs> like, yeah, wow, it's it's so bad, dude. <laughs> like, and it, it's like one of those things where when you see Connor Brown do something good, you get like a nice thing of joy, you know, knowing you took that from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then you just look at the blue line, and you go, yeah, no, like as much as we like to laugh that they don't have a Connor Brown. They don't have a Nikita Zaitsev anymore, and they took his money and went and paid. Um, oh, now I'm blanking on Brody, the right? Yeah, TJ Brody, and it's like, yeah, I would probably rather have a TJ Brody contending than uh, Nikita Zaitsev. But yeah, I don't. know. I think uh, looking at even the financials, I think people were saying that this offseason would be the best one to buy him out, just in terms of a savings perspective. And I wouldn't hate that to be honest. I don't know if they'll do it. I don't know if they have the money to do it. Um, you know, they've seem more willing at times to splash money around, but um, it'll be interesting. But at the very least, just Nikita Zaitsev can A, he cannot be playing top four for you next year. And if he is still on this team within two years, he probably shouldn't be a top six defenseman. Like I I get it's a bad look to be swallowing 4.5 as a healthy scratch most nights, but you just got to treat it as a sunk cost if you can't get rid of that contract. And you can't play him if he's, if there's better options than him. And even if you want to argue there's not right now, I probably would disagree, but a, like I wouldn't completely like, maybe you could argue he's their sixth best defenseman. I think definitely in two years from now, there's no way that'll be the case. Um, So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, definitely be interested to see what they do with that too. But um obviously that's uh, a little farther down the line. Um, you know, we, I don't need to go in game by game over the past couple of games. It's been a bit of a mess. COVID has not helped anything. That is for sure. But um, you know, COVID has not uh, cost them to lose all these games either. I, I found a, a pretty concerning trend with this team. I don't, I don't know if you've seen it the same way, but I've really liked the starts they've had most nights. Like they come out firing for 10 to 15 minutes, get a couple of good chances. But then I find the trend is they, they don't score on that chance. They let in a goal near the end of the period. And the second period especially is just the flattest thing in earth. And, and sometimes even the third period, they really can't get their feet underneath them either. And it's a really concerning trend that, you know, they, they play about 10 to 15 good minutes of hockey and then you don't see that team ever again. Yeah. It's, um, it's frustrating to watch. Um, definitely. I, I feel like, you know, any chance last year where they would bury it this year, they're just not getting that bounce. Um, quite honestly COVID issues aside this has probably been some of the most frustrating hockey I've I've watched as a Sens fan just because you know they they make a handful of good plays but you know maybe they overpass it a bit or they just it just doesn't find the back of the net so um that's been really frustrating and then it goes the other way you know maybe Stutzel loses at the the half boards and they go two on one and they score like it, it just feels like every um every giveaway ends up costing them, um, which well, that's no way to win a hockey game. Yeah, exactly. And and when you're already, you know, out not, not outmatched, but when you're the lesser team on paper, which this team is still most nights, they're a young team, they're growing, they've got some injuries. You can't make those mistakes, unfortunately. You need to play a pretty good game. And and But there is just a lot of bad luck. Like I think like on Sunday night, Stutzla dances a couple guys in the, in the by the hash mark, throws one on net. Josh Norris is standing with a wide open net, and somehow the puck manages to flex a ninety degree angle and go right across the back the net, uh, back across the net. It's like those are the kind of pucks where it's like 
it's not even skill. You just need some luck for a couple of those to bounce in. And it really feels like it hasn't been at times. Um, and, you know, other times it feels like a couple guys are, I don't know if I want to use the word working too hard, but um, you, you can tell it's getting frustrating and it's wearing on them where it's, you know, especially Stutzla at times, I've seen some people getting a little frustrated with him online. And um, I think the, you know, he obviously got one, but um, on Saturday was it, I believe. But, you know, you can tell a couple of times where it's like he's really trying to do too much or just force it once in a while where, um, you know, I, I think now that he's got one and hopefully he gets another two couple points here in his next couple of games that those plays will start going away and you'll start seeing him take the more natural route to things. But it's definitely been a frustrating start to the year, just really on all aspects for this team. Yeah, you really couldn't have drawn it up much worse. I, I joked on Twitter today that the Sens looked at their start from last year and just like decided to to do the funniest thing ever, which was you know basically replicate it. Um, I, I didn't see it going this way. I mean, obviously injuries and COVID have played a, a pretty significant role. I don't think we should downplay um, how important Shane Pinto already is to this team. Like for a for a twenty one year old, he's a uh, I think he's master for this team, but then you also add in like, like you know, Colin White's not the best player in the world, but like <laughs> they could really use him right now. He's a stopgap for when a guy like Pinto yeah. goes down, right? Like he yep. can play two C for thirty games if he needs to. Yep, and uh, like even like a depth like option like Clark Bishop's out. Like so, um, it's been super frustrating. But at the end, like at the end of the day, I've kind of realized like this team as it's currently assembled with the injuries, um, it's, it doesn't really give a, a, and also without Jake Sanderson, of course, it doesn't give a, a good representation of what this team is next year. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not like worried or anything like that, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not the most fun to tune into uh, like every other night. So um, really unfortunate start to the year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, Last year pissed me off because it was just such bad hockey. Like, yeah, like the, the I, I don't think I've ever watched a stretch of 12 games as bad as the first 12 games last year. Like they didn't play defense. They couldn't score. And the goaltending was outrageously bad. Like, like even um, uh, Forsberg was just or not Forsberg. Um, Humberg. Hobart, thank you. He was just letting in beach balls from the point. Like it was just like I, you couldn't scheme it up worse if you could. This year's been frustrating because, as you said, there's been injuries. Um, you know, the the defense is still a bit of a mess. I don't think the forwards help the defense out much at times either. I find the whole team in their own end gets puck watching a lot. But you know, it's not like Gustafson has looked good this year. I have like he's been one of the few spots where I've still he's in a couple not as good games, but I think generally speaking, any game he's played, they've at least had a chance and that's more than you can say for last year. So it's like, it, it's a different kind of frustrating because it's like, I don't even think they're playing like atrociously bad all the time. It's just, they're not getting any luck. And when you're not getting any luck, you need to be out playing teams to get some wins. And they're not doing that often enough. And it's showing, you know, like they're, they're a bottom five team right now for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a bad roster. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts on, on where they were going to finish was heading into the year. I feel like there's a little bit of revisionist history going around right now where it's like, well, you couldn't really expect this team to be good. What were you thinking? It's like, I didn't expect this team to compete for playoffs. And I think I was lower than most people, but I thought the general opinion on, uh, you know, of what I saw anyways online was this team should be competitive in most games and 
probably not be a bottom three team in the league. And that has just not been the case, unfortunately. And again, like some unforeseen things, like you can't foresee Colin White, Shane Pinto going down, you know, even just like their bottom six has been riddled with injuries all year. Um, you know, Kachuk didn't start the year, but still it's, it's been disappointing to say the least. And I feel like we've gone from, Oh yeah, they, they should be competitive to oh, what we expect. Let's, let's just go for the draft lottery, which isn't a bad thing. It's just funny to see that change happen so quickly into the year. Yeah. So I think where I was, was I didn't expect playoffs, but I still, you know, wanted to see them play competitive games into February and March. Um, where it felt like, you know, it was worth tuning in. I didn't see this team being a bottom three or a bottom five team. Like I, I certainly uh, saw them taking you know, another step, probably not the biggest step, but still another step towards, um, you know, being a, a competitive team. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely disappointing to see uh, where they are right now. And, uh, but like I said, um, this isn't anything earth shattering, you know, it's, it's fine to get another top five pick. Um, it would be pretty nice to be running with the uh, Norris Wright Pinto as a top three next year, maybe Claude Giroux on the fourth line. Not sure, but uh, you know, things are still okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Like I would be this, this season would be so worth it if they get first overall uh, for anyone who doesn't know this. This draft is supposed to be really good. Uh, even like I think two and three are supposed to be like really solid players in this draft as well. But Shane Wright's the gem. And um, yeah, like even I, I think Claude Giroux plays more wing than he does center with Philly. It's really revitalized his career. And if you could have some top six of um, Kachuk, Stutzla, uh, Norris, Pinto, Giroux, and Batherson, and then you got Shane Wright on your third line. Yeah, that would be a fun outlook. But definitely getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. Um, I, I think I was Maybe more just hope. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I, I was just kind of hoping they finished almost where they did last year, to be honest, like ninth or 10th yeah. last in the league. Like they really made a push at the end of last year and that kind of gym like pushed them up the standings. Uh, yeah, they're definitely a little lower than I would have expected right now. Like they are um, like they're, they're tied for second last in the league with uh, the Kraken. Um, the only team they're worse is the Coyotes who do you know the Coyotes record off by hand? Is it like one twelve and one or something like that? One thirteen and one. Nice. They have three points in fifteen games. Like, I, I I cannot believe how bad that team is. They already have thirty second lockdown. But yeah, no, I, I think when it comes to an Ottawa perspective, uh, and there's still lots of time. Don't get me wrong. Like, if you you know if they run off three or four wins, suddenly they leapfrog like the Canadians and the Sabers who are following and the Blackhawks. So uh, there's still lots of time to at least show that growth, but. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's quickly gone from a, a year where it's like the high end is them being competitive and like even trying to sneak around a playoff spot to the high end is like, don't be a lottery team basically. And at this point, if they're going to be injured all year, as long as the young guys are playing well, I don't even care if they are a lottery team, because I think that would be better for them long-term, you know, um, another difference maker up front would be absolutely massive, but, um, we'll see where it goes. Uh, there's still obviously, a ton of hockey to be played yet. And, um, you know, they have a week off, as I said, now, because of this COVID stuff and assuming, you know, they're back to at least somewhat full strength and the um, spread stops, they have an interesting road trip coming up because they go out West and they play the avalanche who have been really injured themselves. Uh, the sharks, 
who got off to a hot start, but have not really played all that well. Their underlying possession numbers are pathetic. Uh, the Ducks and the Kings and the Ducks have won, I want to say five in a row, but I don't think they're a great team either. Uh, and the Kings are whatever. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they are healthy, what kind of momentum or how this road trip goes out uh out west and they have some interesting times on these games. I don't know if you looked at that, but I'm just looking uh, at it now. The, the Ducks games 4 p.m. on a Friday because that's uh American Thanksgiving is that weekend, I believe. So they're you know, usually out west, you gotta wait up till the 10 o'clock games. Uh the Avs start at 8 30 on Monday, then you get a 10 30 Sharks one on Wednesday. That sucks. Uh, but then a 4 p.m. Ducks game on the Friday and a 7 p.m. on the Saturday. So that the 4 p.m. start local time. So um, that's actually not just from a viewership perspective. That's about as good of a Western road trip as you could ask for in terms of uh, starting early. Yeah, except for the part where it makes watching this team easier. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, yeah, so if you, if you go to the part where you just listen to the first 40 minutes of this podcast about why you don't want to watch this team, maybe it's a little worse. But hey, maybe uh, JBD and Lassie Thompson are still in the lineup and there's there's something to look forward to. Yeah, I can assure you I will still be watching. <laughs> I will very likely as well, especially because the 1031s on a Wednesday. I usually have hockey around that time too, so I'll probably be up for, for it. Um, what are you looking for with this team, you know, over the next couple games? And, and I say that as, you know, as the team gets starts to get back to full health, obviously uh, Dylan Hetherington is not going to be staying up with this full-time lineup. Uh, you know, even, even up front, like Andrew Agassino will not be. Um, do you think, is there anything that, and, and maybe it's less of a chance now that, you know, they're, they're missing the next three games. Is there anything that, you know, JBD or Lassie Thompson could do that they could actually stay in this lineup full-time going forward? Or is it just set that once they get the seven guys back, they'll probably have to go back to the AHL? I think that JBD will go down regardless, but I think Thompson might have a bit of a window here. Uh, if, he's to, if he keeps playing really solid, um, I get the sense that DJ Smith really likes him, um, likes his skating, likes his size. Um, so potentially maybe that works out for Lassie Thompson. Uh, so that's one thing I, I would be looking at. I mean, I, I would still lean towards, he probably ends up getting sent down at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've been very impressed by him. Other things I'm looking for um, would just be the continued solid play of Philip Gustafson. Um, that's, you know, he's been steady as ever. And also, um, was Stutzley getting the goal the other night? Um, does he continue to uh, transit that into um, more on-ice production uh, to complement his already uh, stellar you know, puck possession numbers and uh, you know, zone entries that he has been providing the team? Yeah, I mean, all great things. Uh, Gustafson definitely is one of the highlights of this year because you know, if he can take that another step forward into showing that he is a legit NHL, not just an NHL goalie, but a tandem guy, or dare I say, even a number one. And I don't want to put the cart too far before the horse here, but just showing that he's a legit NHL goalie who can play 40 ga- 35, 40 games. Like that's the workload people want him to get in the AHL. I, he can do that in the NHL. And I don't see why not. Like at this point, you got to stop force feeding Matt Murray starts, you know, he doesn't have to be sat or anything like that, but a tandem with between these two would be perfectly fine with me going forward. And whoever's hot takes their game you know, on the range for a couple games, right? Like there's nothing wrong with me or to me, you know, you've spent the money on Murray. It hasn't worked out. Don't try to make him your number one. And, and he's been better at times this year, but he still just has the games where it's like, 
yeah, like he just kind of lets in a floater here or there or whatever. And just a deflating goal. It's like, if he's not going, sit him down for two games, let, let Gustafson go. And, and I, I like Forsberg as, you know, a, a guy, you know, depth, but at this point it is very clear. Gustafson to me is their best goalie. There's no way he can be sent down to the HL again this year. Yeah, it would be, um, honestly, it would be a mind blowing move. If they sent him back down. I, I don't think they could do that at this point. Um, you know, Forsberg didn't have a, a great night the other night. Um, I guess that was last night. And, uh, you know, Gustafson is, I think, out of the... They have they have nine points, right? I think I heard, that, like, out of seven of those nine points have been with Gustafson and Ned or something. It was something like that. Don't that wouldn't shock like me. That, but Yeah, hold on. Let me pull up there. Uh, Scott. I'm pretty sure he's got three of their four wins, though. So... That would uh, and that he would was check in Nets out for the the wild. Um, yeah, what you lost? So yeah, they're four ten and one. He has three of their four wins and the overtime loss. So yeah, like how you can justify that not keeping him up is beyond me. Um, and I guess the other two the other two points would be the you know, the home opener against the Leafs. So Matt Murray is still pointless. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it was. <laughs> no, it was Forsberg who started that game. Yeah, uh, definitely not awesome. And not all of that's on Murray, but, you know, like it's just, it's, there is enough on it. Like, you know, like I, I feel like the the whole thing this year has been like, oh, you know, why do people jump on Murray for every bad goal that goes in, but not Gustafson? It's like, well, because Murray has an 893 last year and an 897 save percentage this year. Those bad goals go in two to three times more often with Matt Murray in that than they do Philip Gustafson. So, yes. The one time for every three that Matt Murray lets in, people aren't going to jump on Gustafson because that's the goal that made it 3-1 for the uh, Sens instead of tied the game at 3-3 or whatever, right? And it's just, it's one of those things where I like I don't want to see him struggle. Like, I would much rather him be a Vesna caliber goaltender who leads the Sens to a Stanley Cup. But the realistic point of that is it's not happening and nothing close to that is happening. So you can't just keep forcing him into the net. I just, I hope it doesn't happen for his sake and the fans, frankly. Yeah. I really hope he turns it around. Um, I guess another reason why he gets the hate is that he gets paid what, like 10 times as much as Gustafson makes. So, um, but yeah, and they I gave, mean, they I gave mean, up hope, assets to get him, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, hope, hopefully the like Gustafson, takes over and it's in like a 1A, 1B type situation uh, with Gustafson as the 1A. Um, I think that could maybe be good for Matt Murray to you know, take a bit of the pressure off. But um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that if uh, if Gustafson's not the best goalie, he's certainly the, the second best in the system. So um, he should certainly stay up with the uh, NHL team and if not, just be the full-time starter. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we're getting pretty close. The only other thing I wanted to touch on was, uh, you know, maybe some deaf guys. I, I will say, you know, unfortunately, COVID has been. It's been cool to see uh, guys like Igor Sokolov get a, a chance up in the NHL. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he's not full-time NHL ready just yet. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, post-trade deadline, if they do sell off, say, I don't know if Sanford is a piece they'd sell off. But if they do sell off a piece or two at the deadline here, um, you know, Sokolov is a name I will be looking to come up probably again post-deadline and get another shot. Um, you know, I haven't loved his game, but I thought it was it was fine. It's just been a nice change seeing some new guys and, and some guys who, you know, clearly want to make a difference for this team going forward. Uh, it's been fun at least getting to watch that instead of, you know, just 
a bunch of 30 year old guys that aren't going to be on this team in, in a little bit getting called up. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think he's done anything you know, game breaking, but I don't, I haven't noticed any mistakes either. Um, he's made a couple nice plays. Um, so um, no complaints from me. I like, I agree with you. He definitely needs some more AHL time, but um, yeah, definitely been nice to see him play, get to see some more of his personality on a, on a nightly basis. Um, you know, he's such an easy guy to cheer for. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other depth guy I want to touch on, he's only played four games uh, with the Senators, but it's Dylan Gambrell, uh, who came over from San Jose, obviously. I, I've thought in the games that he has gotten to play, he's been way better than is expected. It's a depth role. It's a fourth-line role. Like, there's only so good you can be, but he's leading all Senators forwards in expected goals right now at 55%. Uh, again, and, and small sample size, but he, he's third in Corsi 4 and, and you know, almost second in that too. So, And he's actually second if you take out – Agazino's one game at 66% in six minutes of ice time. So a uh, very small sample. Um, but, you know, I thought, you know, he's another guy who he doesn't do anything special, but he just kind of makes the right play when he's on the ice. And, and that goes a long way from some of the guys we've had in the bottom six, I feel like over the past two or three years, it's just been a nice change to see. Yeah. I think he's been a, a nice depth option really doesn't hurt to give up a seventh round pick for him. Um, so, uh, I've liked what I've seen and, uh, will be good to, to see more of them going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Uh, plugs and stuff. Where can people find you or anything you do? Um, just Twitter at Steve on sends. And then, uh, we've still got sends going. So that's sendslore.fandom.com. Um, it's basically a, uh, Ottawa senators, uh, lore Wikipedia. So if you have any, you know, funny stories about, you know, various things the Sens have done in their past, whether that be, you know, if you have articles about the Hamburglar run or Casper's dog of ends or um, Craig, you know, just, just that kind of, you know, fun meme stuff that the, that the community is you know, so well known for. So uh, just to celebrate that. So yeah, just my Twitter and that, that's all I've got going right now. Casper dog. That is quite a pull that I have not heard in a little while. Um, absolutely. Go check that out. Everyone. And I'll tag you in the, uh, I'll tag Steve in the tweet as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a blast as always. And I'll have to have you on down the road. Yeah. Thanks so much, dude. Really enjoyed it.